Derek, Derek, Derek. Diamond, Diamond, Diamond. Experience! Hey, what's up, guys? It is Monday, March 24th, 2014, and this is episode two of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and hopefully everyone who's listening had an amazing and relaxing weekend. Before we get to our guest, I would like to say thank you to everyone who downloaded and or listened to last week's episode featuring the Unicorn Wranglers. It honestly exceeded my expectations as to how well it would do. It broke 100 downloads and also got, I believe, close to 100 plays on Podomatic, which is pretty good, and it even broke the top 50 comedy shows, which, honestly, that really, really impressed me. So thank you very much for listening. And secondly, this is going to be a new segment I'm going to do every week at the beginning of each show. It's called The Word of the Week. And this one is quite the interesting one because until recently, I had no idea what it meant. The word of the week is kerfuffle. You may be asking yourself, what does that word even mean? Well, I'll read you the definition right now. Kerfuffle is a noun and also a British word, meaning a commotion or fuss, especially one caused by conflicting views. To use it in a sentence, there was a kerfuffle over the chairmanship. See, we had kind of a, uh, I won't be specific, but we had a little bit of a dispute, and my boss texted me and said, I hear talks of a kerfuffle, and I had no idea what the word meant, so I just didn't say anything. Well, he called me a little bit later that day and said the same thing, I hear talks of a kerfuffle, and eventually I just broke down and admitted I have no idea what that word even means. So he explained it, and I felt like an idiot. But at least now I'll never forget what the word kerfuffle means. So try and use that word this week if, uh, if you can. It's quite, a, it's quite an entertaining word. And someone who definitely knows what kerfuffle means is my guest this week. This week on the Derek Diamond Experience, we'll be going from the world of music to the world of sports, specifically baseball, which baseball season is right around the corner. This week, I had the privilege of interviewing and talking to the head broadcaster of the Pensacola Blue Wahoos, Tommy Thrall. Tommy has been the broadcaster for the Blue Wahoos since their first season back in 2012, and he also handles the media relations, I believe. But he was someone that, when I had the idea of doing this show, he was someone that I really wanted to have on as a guest just because he always seems to have an interesting story to tell. And what's cool about his job is, as a broadcaster, you get to also travel with the team when they go on the road. Because me personally, I only work the home games for the Wahoos, but he gets to travel with the team. So he gets that travel experience, which I'm I'm kind of envious of, to be honest. And I had no idea until I talked to him how many places he has been. He's worked in Quad Cities, which is in Iowa. Myrtle Beach in South Carolina, which I'm extremely envious of because they have some beautiful and amazing looking golf courses. Golf is, to me, it's one of the more relaxing things that you can do. Very few things are more relaxing than just being out on a golf course by yourself playing a nice game of golf. So we talked about that, um, his early life growing up in Missouri, 
and several, several other things. So hopefully you guys will enjoy this. But I'll quit blabbering and let's get to the Tommy Thrall interview. I'm now joined along with my special guest this week. He is a broadcaster. He hosts his own ESPN talk show. He is the voice of the Pensacola Blue Wahoos, Tommy Thrall. How are you doing, Tommy? Good. Thanks for having me, Derek. Oh, no problem. No problem. Thank you for coming on. Um, you are not originally from this area. You're from Missouri, correct? Yeah. yeah originally, I, I grew up in a small town just north of Kansas City called Smithville, a little rural, rural town, but... Uh, it, it's so spread out up there. You're really only about 20, 30 minutes from the city. So, uh, basically from Kansas city, but, uh, oh, okay. moved down here, love the beach. So, uh, it was, yeah. it was a pretty easy sell to get me down here. Yeah. You, you can't beat that. Um, uh, have you always been a, like a huge sports fan? Yeah. You know, I've always been a baseball nut and, uh, I, I grew up as a little kid and all of a sudden I, I was just drawn to a baseball game. It was actually somebody... It was somebody's voice on a baseball game that I think really drew me to the game. And uh, I was watching a game, it was a Royals game on TV, and their announcer had a really cool voice. And I was just, I was kind of captivated by it. And it made it really easy to watch the game. The more I watched it, the more I fell in love with the game. And it was this voice. I mean, I was just, I remember I was there um, in, in my living room, my parents' living room, playing, not even paying mm-hmm. attention to the game. Then this voice, it kind of caught my attention. I started watching the game and and listening to this guy. Well, turns out years later, once I had grown up a little more, I was 10, so I still wasn't old, but uh, I had a chance to meet that guy. He was no longer doing Royals games on TV, but uh, he was doing some other broadcast work. And uh, even to this day, we still keep in touch. So that was kind of who got me uh, first intrigued on the sport, then I started listening to games on the radio. Uh, I'd always been fascinated by the radio, even as a, as a little kid. So uh, broadcasting kind of allowed me to combine the two. As far as being a sports nut, um, for the sake of full disclosure, I, I, I always watched everything. I always watched college football. I always watched the NFL and, and, and basketball. I always liked college basketball a lot. I uh, didn't grow up around the NBA much, so I, I haven't right. always followed that too closely. But uh, once I got to college, I started broadcasting football and basketball in college, and that's when it kind of it kind of went to the next level. That's when I realized I can't just do baseball and, and make a living that way, and uh, realized that even though I never thought I'd do football or basketball, never thought I'd be able to, they're actually a lot of fun to broadcast as well. And the more you're around the sport, the more you kind of get connected to the sport. And uh, so, so I would say my draw to the other sports really kind of, it took off in college. Before that, it was just I was kind of a casual observer. But, right. but ever since college is when I really started to kind of buckle down. So the broadcasting drew you in just as much as the game itself. Yeah, completely. I mean, it was. I always tell people when they ask how I why I got into it. I thought, well, I, I always loved the radio, and I fell in love with baseball, and it was a way to combine both. But it was it was kind of the broadcasting element that really uh, really drew me into it. You know, you've got I, I mean, I was just kind of drawn to all the media personalities, whether it was TV news anchors, yeah, uh, just cool voices on the radio, or somebody on a, a you know DJs and, and radio. I, I, anything to do with broadcast, I enjoy doing. It doesn't matter what it is. I've DJed before and love it. 
uh, if it involves a microphone and mm-hmm. you know radio signal or television signal, I'm I, I'm I'm drawn to it. I, I really enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. So, did you play any sports, or were you just solely a? Were you more on the broadcasting side than the actual playing the sport? I, I love playing baseball. You know, I, I grew up wanting to be a baseball player, but realized pretty quickly that I didn't throw hard enough, didn't have much of a, a body to, to be a professional sports star mm. or be an athlete professionally. So I was never big enough to play football, and I was terrible at basketball. So those sports I never really had any desire to play. Baseball I love playing. I would have played in college uh, if if I could have, uh, but you know that was that wasn't something that was a huge goal of mine. I you know I tried out for the team that I uh, for for the team at the school I went to, Northwest Missouri State. Didn't mm-hmm. make it. Um, what position did you? I was, I was a pitcher. I oh, tried okay. to be a pitcher. Yeah, and uh, I really think if I. I may have had a shot to make that team if I would have tried a little harder. I mean, I took the tryout seriously, but I'd thrown all day by the time my tryout actually came, so I think my arm was a little tired. Uh, I wouldn't have had to do a whole lot more to get to where they told me I needed to be in order to have a shot to make the team. But, right. you know, a lot of those guys, it was a Division two school. A lot of those guys are already scholarship guys anyway, so that's a tough nut to crack. So I didn't think I was... And try out. Never went back and tried out, and I was completely content with that. I ended up traveling with the team anyways after a couple of years, and yeah. kind of had the similar lifestyle to being a baseball player. I just didn't have the early morning practices and the yeah. mandatory workouts. So, because <laughs> I've mentioned that I work with the Wahoos as well, I just work the home games, but you do the road games as well. Yeah. So you you do kind of get that travel experience, kind of similar to the team itself. It's funny to go back to what we talked about before. The draw to the field was not just baseball or the radio. It was everything. You know, I, I thought... The lifestyle. Well, yeah, the lifestyle. It's like, these guys get to travel city to city. They get yeah. to see the world, and it's part of their job. Now, had I known that you could make more money and still travel doing other things, maybe <laughs> maybe I would have looked at other career paths. But really, the travel was, was something that drew me to the, the, the uh, job as well, because I love to travel. And yeah. that's something I've enjoyed doing since I was a kid. To get out and see the world, I've been pretty much all over the country. I haven't spent a lot of time out west, but I mean, I've seen quaint little towns that I never thought I'd enjoy. I've been to Billings, Montana, and loved it. I've been to bigger cities and hated them. So you know, there's 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 a lot to see. And uh, doing what I've done in several different leagues, I've I've got to see it. I've been fishing on the Red River in Winnipeg. Uh, oh, Manitoba. Nice. So yeah, it's nice. stuff like that that you get to do that ordinarily you wouldn't wouldn't have an opportunity to. So it's been a lot of fun, and, and of course, in traveling and, and moving all over the country, you meet a lot of great friends. So not yeah. just in the cities you work, but also in the cities you visit. Yeah. So you're out of college. Mm-hmm. What is your first broadcasting job? First one was with the Kansas City T Bones, um, which is a I worked for them while I was in school too, but it was just as an unpaid intern, uh, pretty much how we all start. And uh, so I was I was an unpaid intern there for two and a half years. It was in my hometown, so it worked out perfectly. I was in Kansas City, so it was I was able to stay at home, so I didn't need to make money uh, to get by. So it worked out perfectly that I was there in college, and then my boss left, and his departure coincided with my graduation. They instantly called me and said. Uh, Hey, you interested in the job? I said, Yeah, sure. I think I can. I think I can handle that. And that's how it started. I, 
Uh, I hadn't done any media relations stuff before that and didn't really realize how big of a part of the job that would be. So that was kind of an on-the-job on the training, but uh, I've, en- I've enjoyed learning that aspect of things. And I'm still learning stuff in, in the media. Related. Well, you always you, you always learn. You, yeah. you, you never stop learning. So I'm still learning stuff about broadcasting that I thought I knew too, but turns out you don't. <laughs> the day you stop learning your job is when you need to stop. Exactly. Your job yeah. is no, exactly. something I've always thought of. And that's uh, that's true too, because if, if you if you stop learning, you stop caring. Yeah. You know? If you want to keep learning, then you obviously continue to care to get better. So. Yeah. So... What are some of the other jobs you've had? I've know I know you've mentioned that you've worked in Quad Cities before. Yeah, um, broadcasting jobs. If we want to, I, I I I've been fortunate enough that I haven't had a lot of jobs outside of broadcasting. Most of my mm-hmm. job, you know, I, I've never worked in the food service industry. I don't have any horror stories of working uh, in retail. Uh, yeah, in retail or yeah. fast food or anything like that. It's 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 most of it's been broadcasting. I've helped out some uh, maintenance. Teams, some you know maintenance departments at schools just for some spare money right. during the summer while I was in school, like high school. But uh, really, for the most part, everything I've done, most of my experience has all been in radio. Uh, my jobs, I worked at uh, while I was in college, worked at a little small market station in Maryville, Missouri, called KNIM, which was a lot of fun. It was oldies when I started and classic rock when I left, and I loved that. I loved the oldies actually. I wasn't as big of a fan of the classic rock switch, but uh, I was I was always a big oldies nut. Yeah. But I DJed there, did some sports, did some news, got a taste of everything there. Had a lot of fun doing that. Worked at my campus radio station. Worked at an NPR station and hosted a, a late night radio show on our NPR station. I think it was called Nightlight, Nightlife, or something like that. It was classical stuff. So I've done everything from top forty to classical oldies, classic rock to country on the DJing side of things. Uh, but sports, I, I've had a lot of odds and ends jobs with the steady baseball jobs I've had. Um, I went from Kansas City after two years there full-time out to Myrtle Beach. I worked out there for one season, then took a full-time job at the Quad Cities, which was media relations focused and a little radio on the side. And then from there, after two years there, I came here to Pensacola. But uh I've done some stuff for some small market radio stations, filling in, doing football and basketball. I've done some TV work, football, basketball, baseball, and uh, a lot of other little stuff in between, too. And it's, it's it's all been fun. I've enjoyed it all. Did you play any golf at Myrtle Beach? I played a lot of golf. I actually was pretty happy with my golf game when I moved away really? from there. It is a far cry from where it is now. It is It was never good, but it was a lot more respectable than it is now. It was presentable then. I could at least go out and, and act like I knew how to golf when I lived there. But but now I, I hardly ever have any time to play. But I, it was funny because when I was playing in Myrtle Beach, I had a friend that was a golf pro at one mm-hmm. of the most exclusive courses in town. So I was playing. I had only played golf for a few years at that point. Still only a few years, it feels like. But um, so I'd go out, and I was playing courses that I had no business playing. I mean, these are they, they, people pay a lot of money to play on these courses, and I feel like I was just chewing them up. I mean, I just go out there and just destroy these courses. <laughs> yeah, it was. It never ended well. But we always had a great time. Yeah, that, that's actually something that's on my bucket list: is yeah. to play golf at Myrtle Beach. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't have the time to do it, but to me, there are very few things that are more relaxing than. Just being out on a nice day and playing golf. Yeah, the only thing, um, I wish I would have played at a course that was on the water. For all the courses yeah. they have, they have very few that are actually on the water. I, I want to do that. I want to play like a pebble beach where you've yeah. where you've got to go out into the water a little bit. 
or you're I'm playing the exact opposite. Water. Anytime there's water, my golf ball is going right into it. Well, it will, but at least it's good scenery. True. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, I'll make that, some deposits. I'll, yeah. I'll provide some fish food, but uh, yeah. So how did you get the job with the Blue Wahoos? Blue Wahoos was, uh, I, you know, I, I don't know specifically. Uh, you know, connections you make through sports are always important. I, I think they played a role here. Uh, there were three people here with the Wahoos when I applied for the job that I knew. Uh, and knew fairly well. Two were very close friends, and uh, third I had worked with in the past, actually in Myrtle Beach. So, and it was funny because I had somebody from every previous job that I had worked at worked here at the time. There was somebody from Myrtle Beach, Quad Cities, and Kansas City here when I applied. So I just uh, I had applied for the job, sent out an email with uh, with my work, didn't hear back. Heard the job was still open after about a month, so I snail mailed some stuff, whole packet of uh, some of my work, and uh, ended up hearing back from that. I thought I was out of the running. I was getting ready for another year in the Quad Cities, and all of a sudden the phone rang, and uh, after a few rounds of interviews, I was on my way down here. So it was, I, I, I don't know if it was my work that stood out or if uh, the fact that I knew some people here, but uh, I think... I think it really was the fact that once they got my information, that caught their eye, and then, you know, from that point, asked some questions about me. What are some of the highlights from the from the first season? Because this, you worked here the very first year that the yeah. Wahoos were technically a team. Yeah, it was to be a part of something like that, and knowing how much this team means to this city was really special. I mean, it was it was really cool to be a part of the opening, the ballpark, right on the water. Uh, it was that alone was really cool, and then everything that happened during the season. Bubba Watson tweeting at us directly, sending us a direct message oh, to cool. come out and throw out the first pitch. Very cool. Um, seeing stuff, uh, seeing some of our stuff on Sports Center. You know, some of mm-hmm. the game highlights on Sports Center. The no hitter was a blast, and Billy Hamilton breaking the record. There were so many highlights from the first year, but I think overall just seeing how much this team means to the community is probably what takes the cake. I mean, that's what really makes this place special is knowing that this team means something to the people here. And I I love being a part of that. That's that's what's really awesome. I mean, there were a lot of cool moments, but to know that – To know you're part of – Part of something that means a lot to people yeah. in the community, yeah. yeah very cool. I mean, yeah, that's, I, that's, I that's completely agree. Now, I did have a call on Sports Center, so that was pretty neat, too, from a personal oh, nice. selfish standpoint. That was pretty neat. Nice. But, uh, I always thought, you, you you know you've made it when you get a call on Sports Center, and then I had a call on Sports Center. I go, I don't feel like I've made it yet. I've got to come up with a new, new definition of yeah. making it. <laughs> yeah. So something that I've been personally curious about, like, as a broadcaster, what's the process that you go through to get ready for a game? Because you, you can have multiple games or games in consecutive days. Yeah, uh, baseball's tough. It, it's a lot different than everything else. I, uh, that's a question that I still try to figure out. I've mm-hmm. prepared for games differently uh, every year I've done it, I think. Last year, I think I found the most successful way. I went through and uh, made notes on every major league team's digital media guy that's in our league. I made some notes there. So that way when players come up, I can just click on the player's name and their guide, and I've got my own notes that I've created to go along with the notes that they provide. So I think that helps. Uh, As far as actual prep, it's a little different. You fill out a scorecard. I write in their stats and uh, 
you know, what they've done for the series pretty much is what I do or what they've done against the particular team. And, and that's kind of it. And then just know a little bit of background information. Know what's going on around the league. Know, know who the prospects are. Read up on those guys and, and kind of go from there. Try to do a little digging, but you can't spend too much time preparing for each individual game. You more prepare for a series and then use that information throughout the course of the the. You prepare for the series and use that in those games during that series. And everybody's different. Some people keep a, a running book of all the information they collect. Other people uh, don't prep much at all. I I, I wouldn't say that uh, I put a lot of stock or, or put a lot of time into prepping on paper. I like to talk to people and figure out what's going on with guys. Mm-hmm. Uh talk to other broadcasters, and then from our perspective, for our team, talk to our guys and say, all right, what's going on? You're hitting fairly well without jinxing it, trying to figure out what they've done to yeah. make an adjustment or if they're struggling, hey, man, what's going on? Uh, and, and, and get information that way. And talk to talk to the coaches, too, to see what their perspective is. And you get a lot of information being around the team as, as much as you, you are in this sport that uh, you don't even realize you're collecting information as you go and just knowing what to relay, what's okay to pass along and what people don't care about or don't need to know. What are your expectations for the Wahoos this season? I, I Expectations are tough, especially out of spring training, especially at this level when you don't really know who you're going to get. We've got a pretty good idea that the rotation is going to be pretty solid this year. Uh, I think our pitching staff is going to be really good just based on kind of calculations and, and trying to figure out who is logically going to start the season with us this year. So I think the pitching is going to be really good. I'm somebody that believes if you've got a good pitching staff, you're going to have a good team. So I, I think this team's going to be pretty good. Actually, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if uh, if they end up in the playoffs with a strong first half. Wow. Hopefully that's going to happen. Yeah, we'll hopefully. See. Fingers crossed. Yeah, right. you got to still have some bats to be able to score some true. runs. So yeah, we'll that, see about that. Yeah, that, that is true. How excited are you for the Reds game? coming up very uh, I mean it's it's gonna be great it's gonna be major league baseball here I'm mm-hmm. very excited about that nervous at the same time yeah. but uh, I, I think I'm just nervous because of all the other stuff that that goes into it uh, making sure everything's prepared from the media relations side but from the broadcast side of things and the baseball side I think it's gonna be great I'm, yeah. I'm very excited to see that you know they've got a lot of great players on that team and to see some of the guys we've had here uh, come through here, mm-hmm. back. That'll be that'll be a lot of fun. I think it'll be great. I, I'm very excited for that game. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, I've been saying that the prep leading up to the game is going to be stressful, but once the game starts, I think it's going to be a blast. Yeah, it's one of those where you've got to remember, regardless of how things go, to still enjoy what's happening. Yeah, um, I, I I have no doubts things will go well, but uh, inevitably, without question, there will be some snags. There always is, especially when you put on an event like this. But you just have to make sure that uh, you don't let those bother you the day of, uh, especially when they happen. You deal with them and you move on. You can't dwell on it. And uh, then once the game starts, just to kind of sit back and actually enjoy the game. So how did you get to host your ESPN show that you currently <laughs> do, which is called The Drive? Yeah, uh, The Drive, weekdays 5 to 7, shameless plug. Um, I don't... I don't know how that really came about. I uh, I know the time slot had opened up. It was originally four to six. The time slot had opened up. They came to me said, "Have you ever done sports talk before?" I said, "Nope," <laughs> but I will gladly learn. I will I will try to figure it out. And uh, you know, there was a little bit of an interview process there, but I think more than anything, they wanted to know if I 
was in touch with the the sports focus of the area, be like I am. Right. And uh, from there, they said, uh, "Yeah, let's let's go ahead." And they pulled the trigger. I was on the air before I could before the ink dried, really. <laughs> and uh, and it's been fun. I mean, it's a whole new challenge in broadcasting. Everything's a new challenge. Every time you go to a new city or, or switch jobs, it's always a challenge. I've done some TV reporting here in sports. That's a whole new challenge. I've never done that before. Just went back and watched one of my old reports from two years ago and realized how bad that was. But uh, So everything's a new challenge. Everything's learning to grow. And, and as, as we talked about before, learning every day on the job is, is a big part of it, too, because you always have room to get better. But it's been fun. I've, I've enjoyed uh, the show. It's Like I said, it's a whole new challenge, but it's, it's been fun. Yeah. I've got a couple of random sports questions to ask you before I get to my last one, which I think you'll get a kick out of. <laughs> um, football, if you were in charge of picking for the Houston Texans, who would you choose with the number one draft pick? I've been saying all along that it'd be silly not to go after Johnny Manziel. It's a calculated risk anyways. Whenever you're, whenever you're drafting, it's not a perfect science. It's, it's, it's an inexact science. You, everything's a gamble. So why not have a gamble? Why not take the gamble that could work out anyways on the field, but you know is going to work out for you off the field? It's basically win-win. If 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 the Texans draft Johnny Manziel and it doesn't work out, they're in no worse shape than they were before. True. But they've generated some interest in the area because he's Johnny Manziel and people are going to get excited about that. Yeah. And if it doesn't work out, you give him a couple of years and then go try to find another quarterback. And if it does work out, well, now you've got yourself a quarterback that people are going to rally around. Mm-hmm. Um, I, To me, if you really genuinely don't think he can be an NFL quarterback, then don't draft him. But if you think that he's got a shot to be an NFL quarterback and you think it's between him and Bortles and Bridgewater and they're all pretty close in your book, I think you go after him. Just yeah. because I, I think there's too much to gain and uh, – not a lot to lose if it if it doesn't work out. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna be out the same amount if you draft one of the other guys and they bust. So yeah. I, I I'm picking Johnny Manziel and I would I wouldn't even think twice about it. I like that comment about how they wouldn't be any worse off because at the end of the year, yeah, they had the worst record, but to me, they weren't the worst team. No, no, they're 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 a quarterback away. I think from being a yeah. pretty good football. They've team, still so. got a solid defense. Mm-hmm. They've got a couple of good playmakers on offense. I, I think they need to get one more receiver as well. Yeah, would help. But yeah. there'll be some receivers available. Yeah, this year's draft is deep with receivers, yeah. so I, I think they'll be okay. What are your expectations? Like, who in Major League Baseball? Who are some teams that you think might surprise some people as to how good they might be? Well, one, I don't think they'd be a surprise anymore, but i got to say my Kansas City Royals that I mm-hmm. grew up watching. That's a team that I, I think's ready to break out. If they don't, they're going to be behind for several more years. They, they need that team to kind of come together. That's one team that I, I really think can some, surprise some people. The Braves worry me a little bit. You know, I think uh, that was a team that wasn't going to surprise people if they were successful with Medlin going down. Um, I'm a little worried about that rotation now. So they may surprise some people in the other way and uh, not have the season that everybody had hoped for. But as far as this year goes, uh, I I think the Astros are getting close, but they're not there yet in their minor league system. And uh, it, it, But it's hard to say. But if I were to pick one team, I think Kansas City is finally poised for a good breakout year. So we'll see if that 
comes to fruition or not. But they've they've been they've drafted so well for so long. They've stocked up on prospects for so long. I, I think they're ready, and I'm I'm really anxious to see how the Reds do this year as well. Yeah. So I think that's new manager, um, a lot of new faces in that organization. They've they've moved a little bit towards youth, uh, some young arms with Singrani and a few other guys down there that I'm curious to see how they pan out. Guy we had here a couple of years ago, Daniel Corsino. I'd like to see him get back to the big or get to the big leagues and and show what he's capable of so there's certainly some guys there Donald Lutz I'd like to see get another chance up there but uh, I think they're ready to make a move towards youth and we'll obviously see Billy Hamilton as their starting center fielder yeah that's going to be really cool to see Mm -hmm. especially for us around here one cool thing about Donald Lutz when he was called up to the Reds last year I was at home and I have the free subscription to MLB TV and you Mm -hmm. always get one or two free games and the one game that I got for free was his debut hmm. with the Reds. So when it showed him up on the screen, I'm like, oh, just filmed that guy like two <laughs> days ago. Yeah, it's very cool to see that. Yeah. And my last question, one funny road story. Ah, one funny road story that I can tell. Um, that you can that's, tell, That's yes, the hard part that yeah. I can tell. I I don't know. It's so hard. People ask me that a lot. What's one thing from the road that's just hilarious? And it's 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 hard to say because I the stories that uh, that I always come that come to mind the most are ones I can't repeat because uh, <laughs> there's plenty of those. True. Yeah. There was. I, I think there was one. I, we were out to eat one time. I don't know. This one. This one's not a good one. But I I told it earlier today, so it's fresh in my mind. But we're at a Japanese steakhouse that was open late, and they always do tricks. Well, we're in Canada, so apparently they can do more tricks than what we can in the States. So the chef is looking for a volunteer, and I get volunteered. And so I'm standing there. He wants me to catch something, stand up by the steps, probably 10 feet away from him. And he pulls out a knife. I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, I don't want to catch a knife. Then he dices up a piece of chicken. Uh, I thought it was a fake knife. Turns out it was very sharp because it went through the chicken like nothing. (laughs) So he dices up this piece of chicken, spins the knife around, flings it in the air, and I catch it between my hands, like pancake style or mm-hmm. patty cake style. Yeah. And I, I couldn't believe it. But I, I was standing there initially with my hands open, like I'm getting ready to catch a ball. And he goes, no, no, you'll cut your fingers off. You need to <laughs> you know, put your hands Yeah, together. I was like, oh, great. But, yeah, that was one. It was, it, But it was a cool night because that was one of those we were, we were up there and – one of our players knew the owner of the restaurant because he had played in that city before, so they kept the restaurant open that night uh, late, and uh, so we we got to go to the restaurant and and have a nice meal, and it was it was pretty cool because we were the only ones in there. It almost had a somewhat of a big league feel to it, so it was just a yeah. cool night, and it it was capped by a story where I, I thought I was going to get my fingers chopped off. So, but uh, no, I, as far as good stories, that's always tough. I I feel like I should write down all the good stories I've seen. Um, there have been some some pretty crazy bus trips, but uh, yeah, yeah. I just that that was one another one. I, I had a bus driver one time that was. Uh, there's still times where I think one bus driver I had may have driven off the road, but I was asleep, so I don't know if it really happened or if it was a dream. But you couldn't tell if he was sleeping or not because he always had his eyes closed or it looked like he did. So you never yeah. knew if he was awake. His head was bobbing side to side like he was sound asleep, but you did, you just didn't know. So that was another one. Um, and then I had a bus driver one time. We, we had this older bus, 
And he, he looks at me and he goes, you know why we take this bus, right? I said, no. He goes, it'll do 80. <laughs> okay, great. Great. Through the mountains, I'll, that's what I want to do. I don't know if that's something I want to know for a bus. <laughs> right. So, no, I wish I had some better stories. I, there's there's so many, but uh, to pick out one good one that I could tell, it would it would be it'd be tough. But yeah. I, I'm, I'd have to think on that one a little while to get you a real good story. So we'll have to settle for those for now. Okay. <laughs> Well, I think that's all I've got. All right. Thanks, well, thanks for coming Derek. on, Tom. Yeah, thanks, Derek. I appreciate it. It was fun. That's it for the show this week. I would once again like to thank Tommy Thrall for joining me for that fantastic interview. And next week, I will be joined by musician, graphic designer, and fellow podcaster Jason Robbins. And don't forget that you can follow the show on Twitter at DDiamondExp and follow me personally at Derek underscore Diamond. And I believe that's it. Hope you enjoyed.